Hey, this is Diana, the Bard of Hudson. What the heck does that mean? A bard is just a storyteller. So here I am to share stories with you. What was it like growing up in the 60s and 70s? Did I really meet Bob Marley on an airplane? I hope you enjoy listening to my crazy life and that it inspires you to share your stories in some way. One great way to share your thoughts with me is through my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard. There you can see the photos and written materials that enrich my stories with visuals. Please check it out. And wherever you're listening, please rate and review and share the podcast. I'd love to hear what you think. At the end of the day, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Hello, welcome back. And I know, I know, last yesterday's episode was very short. But I remember back in the beginning of my uh, journey with this whole thing, there were a lot of short episodes. I used to do like 10-minute episodes, and I'd kind of think like, oh, it's just a little taste, just as you're having your morning cup of coffee, um, bit of a story. So I hope that wasn't disappointing in any way, just a little shaking it up, right? Um, So today I'm going to continue with the summer of 1980, and... uh, off I went to Paris with my aunt and uncle and my two cousins Laura and Phil and I had never been to Paris so it was incredibly exciting it was a chance to practice some French and I had learned French as a small child with Mamsa and I always kept it up because I kept I I took it in as a class in in uh, middle school and we often, you know, practiced speaking French, certainly around the table at my grandfather's in Italy. But I hadn't been to Europe in years. I hadn't been through my whole high school career. I hadn't been. So this was a chance not only to practice French, but also to see some more of Europe besides my family's home in Liguria. So really all I had seen was Italy, you know, and, and I loved Italy and that was great. But um, this was a trip before, you know, before we went to Italy to join up with my grand, well, not with my grandfather, but with some more of my family at my grandfather's home. This was a chance to spread out a bit and see some more. And this became a tradition for me later when I had kids. He said every time we went to Europe to join up with my family, we would first go to see one other piece of it, of Europe in some way, um, France, England, so that they had a bit more of an education in uh, what what was the European continent like. Since we had the plane ticket over there anyway, it made sense, right? So my aunt and uncle had met in Fontainebleau, which is near Paris, so we went there also um, so we got to see magnificent castles. We saw Fontainebleau, we saw Versailles, uh, and wow, it was so spectacular. Uh, beautiful and, you know, nostalgic for them. So they took us all around. They took us to meet Laura's godmother, Nadia Boulanger, who is um, the teacher that had taught my aunt and my uncle both to play piano so beautifully, so beautifully. Um, and she was a fascinating older lady and and i remember laura and i trying to pass for french you know trying to speak our french with our 
well-studied accents and feeling very frustrated like why don't they believe us why did they immediately peg us as americans i don't get it i don't get it we don't dress that different <laughs> so we were a little like hmm, trying to be very sophisticated and european and it wasn't really it wasn't really working then we went off to corsica to club med for a week this was my first time going to Club Med and it became a thing that I really enjoyed doing because it was this whole encapsulated experience of nighttime fun and daytime swimming and also like classes and things that you could learn. So we learned to windsurf and we learned to paint silk scarves and that was so beautiful. We had these silk scarves for a long time that we were we had hand painted um and i remember whoa this eye-opening experience of the go's the go's were the people who staffed uh the club meds and they were always gorgeous and very friendly and uh they wore tiny tiny bathing suits it was ridiculous so these men and these teeny teeny speedos and nothing left to the imagination were everywhere <laughs> so laura and i were agog we were like wow uh this is incredible it's just this feast for the eyes all of these gorgeous men and every night they put on a show where they sang and they danced and they were funny and so they were just mesmerizing and uh, 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 alluring in this way that you know there was this stable of exotic men that were constantly appealing to you in one way or another and and you know hoping that you were having a good time and what can I do to make it better and can I teach you this thing and maybe you want to go take this class so it was it was very uh, mind-boggling in some ways and it was also a little dangerous uh, two geos in particular were just flirting up a storm with me and Laura and maybe they didn't really realize that Laura was only 17 and I was 19 at that point and one evening they asked us up to come up to their room for drinks they were like hey come have a nightcap with us and and you know we giggled and we were like sure sure uh, but we went back to our room first and I remember Laura was very nervous and she was like I, I don't think I don't know I don't think that's a good idea now and then I was you know 19 what the heck do I know and I was reckless and kind of uh, you know drunk with the whole idea of all of this flirtation and I was like oh come on come on and she ended up Laura ended up staying back but I was too flattered and excited to n not go. So I uh, did go, and I remember that glance back, you know, to looking back to Laura because it's one of those encapsulated moments that was a threshold because I unfortunately ended up as an unwilling participant in a threesome. And it was very upsetting, but I was I felt so ashamed because I thought it was my fault and I had ended up in that mess uh, due to my own folly and I never told anyone for a very long time 
very long time. So that's why I don't remember too much about Corsica otherwise. Um, the second half of my summer was very, very different. I had registered for a trip with Earthwatch. I think my mom was keen to keep us busy for the whole summer and out of Virginia's hair because we were not getting along too well in those last few years of my high school and during my college experience we really had this experience of her as a leech and it was very upsetting to my brother and to me the way that she seemed to manipulate my mom and speak for my mom and make all the decisions in our family and it was very confusing and upsetting to us and so we had a lot of fights in those last few years. So I don't think they wanted to take vacations with us. So between me going off with my aunt and uncle and then I was signed up for Earthwatch. Now Earthwatch was, and I think it still is, um, a, uh, an entity that organizes trips around particular scientists and their projects. So at the time, you could go on an Earth Watch with Jane Goodall, for instance, and go and, and study the chimps. And one of the people on this Earth Watch trip of mine had done that, in fact, and told us all about it and it sounded amazing. And I, after this particular trip, I wanted to do more and more and more Earth Watch, and I didn't end up doing that. But so this was my one and only. And for some reason, out of the catalog, I picked Suriname, South America as this random destination because one of the jobs that was listed under the description of the trip was to be the trip's photographer. And I was studying photography at school in the second semester of BU and I had decided I wanted to be a photojournalism major and that I would take all of the photojournalism classes I possibly could take because it was really exciting. There was a big um, duck room in the BU communications building and I spent a lot of time in there in the years to come. So I wanted to be the trip photographer and that was an opportunity. And this trip was going to be, they said, was going to be made in dugout canoes. So I interpreted that to mean that we were going to have to row. And because the trip was rated at a level of difficulty that said rigorous. So in the time leading up to uh, my Corsica trip, and then also in the time in between Corsica and going to Suriname, I had a few weeks and I was going to the health spa down the road from my, my mom's house every day, two times a day, swimming 90 laps each time. In the morning at like 6.30, I opened the place and then in the evening after I had work and things like that. And then I was drinking nothing but smoothies all day and then having dinner. So I was like down to this ripped, toned, strong body that was like my best shape I have ever been in. Uh, I remember I bought this pair of red pants, 1980s style, you know, high-waisted and small, uh, tapered at the ankle. And they were very flattering and the smallest pair of pants I had ever bought. And I was really excited about those and felt really good in them. So off I went to Paramaribo, which was the main city in Suriname. We met the team. 
we explored the city, kind of getting to know each other for the first two days. And then we were off into the jungle to meet our boats and head off down the river into the interior because the mission of this particular trip was to help this scientist named Larry to record and uh, document all of the cultural activities of these little towns down the river because his, his uh, problem that he was trying to address was that all of the young people, all of the younger generations in these little villages was heading to the city and the villages were emptying out and a lot of this culture a lot of these incredible indigenous traditions were going to be lost uh, if someone didn't help them to capture them and keep hold of them in some way for future generations that wanted to know where they were coming from. So that was his mission. We met our team of dugout canoes at the, a little town at the entrance to the river and we had to stop to get a blessing from the native shaman of that town. So we all were like very, ooh, you know, uh, awed and excited about this ceremony. And we had to get in our bathing suits because we were gonna actually be in the river to commune with the river. So we all waded into the river and he asked us to come around in a circle at about waist height in the water. And he brought out a calabash, of an opened, you know, carved out gourd, dried gourd. And he was saying a bunch of words that we didn't understand, of course. And then he pops open a Heineken and poured it into the calabash. And we almost started to giggle because we were like, wait a minute, what? Um, but Suriname is a Dutch province. So Heineken is huge there, even in the tiny towns. <laughs> and that was very funny and it was a wonderful slightly humorous introduction to our trip to going down the river uh and it turned out that the dugout canoes had motors so all of that physical training was just for my own enhancement and that's okay uh, i didn't have to row there was a team of handsome uh, native men, sort of, they had, I mean, they were Suriname and they were not from the small villages. They were probably some of those boys who had uh, left their small villages and gone to the city and set up this business, this touring business. Uh, their names, the father was Viano and his son Antoine. And then they had a bunch of other employers, uh, employees. Johnny and Dee Dee and then there was Kiki who was the cook who cooked in this interesting uh, um, you know I think it was like a, a footlocker you know kind of a situation where he would transport this easy stove and put a bunch of logs and such in the bottom of it and cook right over a grill you know right there that they had improvised and that was very fun uh, he was quite a character and he loved, they had cases and cases of this rum, this uh, local rum that they loved and that was insanely bitter and 
harsh and just it tasted like somebody's grandma's moonshine from you know the year 1910 or something it was ghastly but we got used to it because it was the only thing around but these boys drank that stuff from like breakfast on and that was crazy especially kiki he was quite a drunk uh and luckily he didn't have to maneuver the boat <laughs> So our first night on the river, we stopped off in one village uh, because the canoes went fairly slowly meandering down the river and that was fine. Like time suddenly started to melt away, you know, and, and we were in this crazy environment that was so very different from anything I had ever experienced and time was not a thing anymore. It didn't matter. So down the river one day and then we stayed in this one little village and the place where we were all going to sleep was a covered area like a little gazebo or something um, with a concrete floor and a roof but open sides and they had hung enough hammocks in there for all of us and they were kind of in, uh, side to side hanging in a row so that was going to be my first experience sleeping in a hammock i had never slept in a hammock before and they were covered over with a netting so we really couldn't see each other um too well from one to the other uh, so you got a little privacy i suppose but the netting was also they told us because there were very small vampire bats uh, native to that country and they would land on your feet and make small incisions and suck your blood from your feet so we were like <gasps> horrified ah whoa, yikes cover up cover up cover up but we didn't sleep at all all of us you know americans and europeans who had come to join this trip uh because not only that you know idea of little bats landing on our feet but also um, this sleeping in the hammock was very odd and, and new to us. So nobody slept that night. And I remember we were telling each other stories and uh, from one covered hammock to the next. So there were just voices floating up in the middle of the night. And just when everything would get quiet, somebody would go, oh, and there was this one time, you know, and so it just kept going. And finally, we saw a tiniest um, hints of light and we were like oh god guys we got to get at least an hour sleep or something like that so we all hooked up the hammocks together thinking it would be fun if we could rock them and so we each reached out to the other person's hammocks on both sides and we started to rock together and it was like one of those weird little um, fidget toys that you have on on some ceo's desktop where the balls all hit each other and then the last one goes out and then the last ball hits the group and then the other one goes out we were kind of like those and getting bumped and banged and and not really rocked at all it was not soothing and we were trying to you know sing little lullabies and stuff and finally as the dawn rose we were like made a decision as a group okay never mind giving up and everybody flung aside their hammock covers only to look out and realize that we were ringed around the entire enclosure 
by a group of villagers and they were all just watching us and they were like who are these weird people who have landed among us and one woman steps forward and she goes wakey wakey <laughs> we all just bust out laughing we couldn't help ourselves and we were like yeah wakey wakey uh it turns out that there was a native tongue called tok tok and it was like that it was very repetitive um wakey wakey meant are you waking up now and we were like yeah we are <laughs> so that was our first night in suriname and there's so much to tell about that trip that i will continue it tomorrow very auspiciously on my 100th episode because it was an incredible adventure and i look forward to sharing it with you tomorrow Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. I am so grateful for you, and I'll see you tomorrow. Want to make some juicy passive income but don't know where to start? You need to check out Girls Trade 2. Girls Trade 2 is an online community of women learning to trade in the stock market so they can boost their savings and get off that dang hamster wheel of work, work, work. So if you want some help figuring out the stock market, check out a free web class at girlstrade2.com. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or on Facebook at Diana Green. And check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard for photos and other fun additions. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you're listening. It makes a world of difference and helps others to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.